the world of A Link to the Past. We'll talk about it and the legacy of the game on this week's episode of Legendary Adventures Podcast. In many ways, A Link to the Past is a pivot back to the design of the original Legend of Zelda. The world is presented from a top-down perspective, with only one style of gameplay. There's no more switching between overhead and side-scrolling views. In fact, A Link to the Past moves so far away from the side-scrolling dominated gameplay of Zelda 2 that it doesn't include any side-scrolling segments at all. And that's a change from the original game, where the sub-levels of dungeons were presented as screens which were viewed from the side. A Link to the Past, however, uses the increased graphical and computing power of the Super Nintendo to stretch its dungeons into multi-floor affairs. It also significantly increases the size of the game world by presenting two different worlds, the light world and the dark world. The light world lives up to its name. The world is vibrant, lush, and green. Unlike the first game where Hyrule lacked any sense of place, this game very much manages to make Hyrule seem like a fantasy kingdom. It lifts a page from Zelda 2 and has an actual village, castle, palaces, and residential structures for characters. There's no more just living in caves. Hyrule Castle occupies the center of the map. Death Mountain lies to the north, with Upper Zora River leading to Zora's Waterfall to the northeast. Lake Hylia occupies the southeastern corner of the map, with Zora River running between the waterfall and the lake. The eastern palace and its associated ruins sit in between the lake and the waterfall. The Desert of Mystery occupies the southwestern corner of the map. There's a marshland in between the desert and the lake. To the north of the desert, we find Kakariko Village, and to the north of Kakariko, we find the Lost Woods. The Dark World also lives up to its name. The color palette is less vibrant, the grass is dead, the water is a vile green. In place of rocks and pots, players will find skulls. All Dark World residents are strange creatures, and many of the homes and structures are in poor shape. Those that actually stand are generally businesses. In the Dark World, the Great Pyramid occupies the center of the map. Death Mountain remains to the north, with the Lake of Ill Omen in the place of the Zorb River. Lake Hylia continues to occupy the southeastern corner of the map, and in between Lake Hylia and the Lake of Ill Omen, there is now the Palace of Darkness. In place of the Desert of Mystery, we have the Swamp of Evil, but the marshland remains in place in between. Kakariko Village to the north of the Swamp of Evil is replaced with the Village of Outcasts, and Skull Woods is to the north of that village. Unlike the first game, I would not describe this world as maze-like. The layout of the world flows well. There are still obstacles and walls that players will have to navigate around, but in general, areas feel more open. Using the extra power of the Super Nintendo, the design team managed to reduce the number of seams on the game world as well. Players no longer travel one screen at a time. Instead, the world's divided into about six regions. The camera will scroll with the player until they reach the edge of that region. There's a brief pause and a dragging transition as players move from one region to another. But the experience on the whole feels smooth and the seams are barely noticeable. In terms of the structure of how the game unfolds, it's a hybrid of the first two games. A Link to the Past has a tighter structure than the first game, but it's not as tight as the second. During the game's introduction, players are limited to a fairly small area. Link's house is located in between the castle and the marshland. Players will only be able to explore the area immediately around Link's house and the castle. 
but once the introduction is complete, the world map opens significantly. Players are only barred from Death Mountain and Upper Zora River and the Waterfall, but all other areas are accessible. Now when I say that, that doesn't mean you can access every secret, because you won't have the necessary items at this point. A few items like Bombs, the Power Glove, and Hookshot are required to fully open the light world. The world expands further with the introduction of the Dark World. The Dark World is laid out much the same as the Light World, but there are more restrictions on how the player can travel at first. Pegs keep players from accessing the marshlands until the hammer is acquired, and crossings at the river are limited until players acquire the hookshot. Players won't be able to access all Dark World portals until they have the Titan's Mitt. While players won't be able to bypass every roadblock or obtain every secret from the start of the game, they're still free to explore as they see fit upon completing the introduction. If a player runs into a dead end, they just need to make a mental or a physical note and return later. That's basically how things played out in the first game as well. Players couldn't immediately travel to every location. Bombs, the candle, the raft, the ladder, the power bracelet, and the whistle are required to open every location on the map on the first game. Players were barred from some areas until those items were obtained. A Link to the Past is a much bigger game than the original game, so the number of required items to reach every secret has also expanded but the principle is the same. The real difference in structure between the game worlds of A Link to the Past and the original is through the use of soft locks. In the original game world, the Lost Woods and Lost Hills served as soft locks for a large portion of the world. Players who learned how to progress through those soft locks could venture into later portions of the game prior to obtaining the ladder, but they still needed the ladder in order to tackle levels 5, 6, and 7. Zelda 2 featured no soft locks. All areas were locked behind a hard lock, and A Link to the Past takes a page from Zelda 2. It features no soft locks on the world map. Progression through the light world also takes after the destruction of Zelda 2. Players must tackle each dungeon in a set order. The Dark World dungeons, however, are structured closer to the original. After completing the Dark Palace, players can complete the subsequent dungeons in a variety of orders. In this playthrough, I've tackled the dungeons in numerical order. On past playthroughs, however, I generally tackle the fourth Dark World dungeon, Thieves Town, before venturing to Skull Woods, and I occasionally tackle it before the Swamp Palace because it's actually one of my favorites in the game. I've also taken on Misery Mire before traveling to the Ice Palace. By doing so, players can skip the lengthy puzzle that involves pushing a block from a floor above just simply by using the Cane of Samaria to create their own block. Changing the order of the main quest dungeons requires ignoring some pretty clear directions from the developers to the players. I think this works for the most part, however. The game's still flexible, and there's less time spent lost. Players know where to go, the question is how to get in. Required quest lines aren't always apparent, to the point that some, like the Flute Boy quest, are often referred to as side quests. A Link to the Past was well received upon release, and was a sell success. According to TheMagicBox.com, it sold more than 4,600,000 copies. That's slightly more than Zelda 2, but less than the original game. It received strong critical praise, not only at the time of its release, but to this day. The legacy of A Link to the Past cannot be understated. By pivoting back to the style of the first Zelda game, it helped cement the Zelda formula. We see a clear return to the open-world action-adventure style of the first game. The main quest has players tackling dungeons to get MacGuffins and picking up tools inside. Bosses award heart containers. Smaller game mechanics and presentational elements from the first game also return, like League's health being represented by hearts. The life heart pickups also return. However, we've seen that Zelda 2 isn't entirely discarded. 
There are elements of A Link to the Past that are often mentioned as being part of the Zelda formula, such as the two-act structure, the dual worlds, the inclusion of pieces of hearts and bottles. However, I disagree with that assessment. While these features and mechanics will appear in a number of Zelda games, they're not in every Zelda game. For example, while later games in this series, such as Ocarina of Time, use a two-act structure and dual worlds, others do not. The next game in this series, for instance, Link's Awakening, features only one world and one act. There are also a couple of games with more than two acts. Wind Waker and Skyward Sword both feature three acts. Pieces of Heart appear in most Zelda games, post A Link to the Past, but not all. Titles such as Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks eschew heart pieces. Bottles appear in even fewer games than heart pieces, with titles like Link's Awakening, The Oracle Games, Phantom Hourglass, Spirit Tracks, and Breath of the Wild, all excluding the bottle mechanic. There are mechanics introduced here that are more frequent and commonly used. Big keys, for instance, will be refined as the series goes on, and will become a staple of almost every Zelda game. The multi-level dungeon design first presented here will also continue to be a staple for the series. The game itself still is two-dimensional, but the developers are clearly thinking of dungeons as 3D spaces, with multiple instances of players having to drop from a higher level to a lower level to proceed, or that standout moment with the streaming light from the top level of Thieves Town into the boss room. This game is also the first in the series to introduce true dungeon theming. Locations not only have distinct appearances, but many dungeons also feature unique dungeon mechanics. The Desert Palace has its sandy floors with enemies that rise out of the ground. The Swamp Palace requires players to raise and lower water levels. The Ice Palace lives up to its name with its slippery floors and chilly appearance. There's a greater emphasis of story on this game. The lore of the Legend of Zelda series is really starting to take shape. The Triforce, while implied to be an incredibly powerful object before, is here given concrete powers. It grants wishes. Ganon is given the first hints of what would become an even more fleshed out backstory. We're told he was once a thief named Ganondorf and that he was changed into the demonic Dark Lord by the Triforce. The legendary Master Sword, or the Sword of Evil's Bane, is also introduced. Really, there's been a much greater focus on story with each game. Both the original Legend of Zelda and Zelda II were fairly light on story, but Zelda II clearly had more story than the first game. Villagers provided distinct quests that contained rough story sketches, and we could also see elements like the hidden town of Kasudo introducing distinct story elements. Here, the story is taken much further. Shigeru Miyamoto has suggested the tighter structure of the first act is because of the emphasis on story. However, the second half still has strong story elements introduced through dialogue from the maidens and others, and that second half is much looser in structure than the first half, but the story still works. A Link to the Past is a much stronger game than the first two titles. While some may lament a loss of mystery with vague hints and a lack of signposting in the first game, I think this game strikes a good balance, and with reduced difficulty I find this game more accessible and fun. While I hit a wall with the first two games, a point where I just wasn't really enjoying it anymore, I didn't hear. I enjoyed the dungeons and the quests all the way through. Up next we'll dive into one of my favorite games in the series. It might also be one of the most important games of the series, Link's Awakening. If you want to follow along, please subscribe. Please also consider sharing this podcast with another Zelda fan. I am Paul Riley. Thanks for listening.